Hey everybody and welcome back to Link to the Cast, your weekly dose of video games and nerd culture ephemera, available everywhere good podcasts are sold. I'm your party host, Dave Ryan, and while the uh, cat's away, the mice shall play, the inmates are running the asylum again this week. Mark is away on assignment, so I'm joined only by the Roman Reigns of audio, Jack Lazell. Jack, how do you want to fuck things up this week? Let's do our favourite lines of dialogue from Melga Solid 3. <laughs> I think it's like, let's do our favourite lines of cocaine. I was like, wow, you really want to fuck Jim up this week. <laughs> yes, <laughs> let's do all of the drugs. <laughs> I wouldn't even know where to get drugs. No, I really wouldn't. <laughs> <laughs> like, you know, when people are like, oh, you, you know, you see the culture of it and stuff where people yeah. are like, yeah, you know, I do this, that and the other. And, I, you know, some people smoke weed, some people go harder. I, I, I wouldn't even know how to do it, like how to approach yeah. it. I'm like, I'm going to just wander around my hometown of, of Cheson, just like drugs, d- drugs and just point at stuff and hope that the drugs might be there even like chris morris walking around in like the big nappy with this ridiculous hat on his head like asking for yellow bentines <laughs> exactly like that yeah i'd probably just settle for like a bottle of a cowpole and just then have a nice little sleep afterwards that'd be my that'd be my uh, drug taking experience for, for yeah. the evening I was never a drug imbiber, nor do I know anymore where I would get some if I was inclined. Um, but the last time we were talking in their little pre-show chat about uh, music festivals and stuff, and the last time I was at a music festival, we were in the uh, we were in the queue, and I can't remember how the joke came about. I think it was like um, we had brought one lot of our stuff from the car. Uh, and we were waiting in the queue and two of the lads doubled back to get like the tent and everything. Yeah. And the guy in front of us was just like, oh, you already look like you have a lot of stuff what they're going back to get. And one of us jokingly said, oh, he's just going back to get the ketamine. <laughs> and, you know, we all had a good laugh. And then for the next five minutes, like maybe three or four different people walked up to us saying that they heard that we were selling ketamine. <laughs> in the queue. Wow. I was like, no, no, it was just a joke. Oh, OK, OK but do you have any? <laughs> and then, then we got in and it was, it had become a running joke with the group of us. So, uh, Brony, friend of the show, Keith Brony, who was with us, wrote, uh, no ketamine in here on a piece of paper and stuck it to the side of the tent. And then, a bunch more people came in thinking like it was some sort of reverse <laughs> psychology. <laughs> They're saying there's none. There must be fucking loads in there. So they, <laughs> people were coming in to the point where we just had to take the sign down. Yeah. I, I'd probably move. Like I, so I had no idea really. I'd never even heard of ketamine. Um, as you could probably tell from that speech before about what, where do you get drugs. I remember I popped someone at work once by like saying like, how much would you ask for? Like, what is a portion of drugs? And like, just absolutely <laughs> laughed my heads off at me. You're such a dad. <laughs> but my first step, my first. Can I have one drugs, please? <laughs> I want to take a drugs, please. <laughs> my my first um. Uh, like exposure to ketamine was this guy that used to hang around was like a friend of a friend kind of thing uh, and he we, we bumped into them at, funnily enough Reading which is why that you, it reminded me because of the festival and he took so much ketamine that he fell asleep on his face half inside and half out of the tent so when I woke up in the morning it was just a pair of legs hanging out of the tent <laughs> and then I sort of moved the like door of the tent a little bit and it was like right on the face like it wasn't like his head was to the side or like you know up or around it just no he was like sleeping on his face so i was like hmm this is a stark reminder that i don't want to take tranquilizers that are usually used for horses thank you very much the first time i remember hearing about it was at a at the same festival but many years before 
uh, a guy I know who shall remain nameless uh, took a load of ketamine and then um, he was fine for a while so he took some more and then he went to there was like free face painting sure and then he he got his face painted like a tiger <laughs> <laughs> And then it hit him while he was there and in the little fairground area of the festival. And <clears throat> the last sighting of him for a day was him on the merry-go-round swiping at children as it, as like it was spinning round and they were trying to get on. He was just like, rawr, <laughs> go fast. And then like my, my buddy Ed said the last time he saw the guy was wandering off into the woods. Oh man. <laughs> he was gone. He was in the woods prowling around for like a day. Did he ever resurface? Like, have you he seen did, him he since? Did, by the end of the weekend, like, I think on the last night, he came back and just sat in a chair in the middle of all the tents and didn't move then till the morning. <laughs> yeah, that kind of makes sense. I yeah. guess, um, oh man, that is just it's just not worth it really is it but when you said about him taking it and then it not having any effect and then i just made me think of the scene in like wolf of wall street where those two uh take like the super old ludes quaaludes yeah yeah. and then he's trying to get into his uh his car from the from the country Mm. club that is just unbelievable and then jonah hill nearly chokes on that ham doesn't he yeah, I just picture now Mark tuning in to listen to the show because I wonder what video games they were talking about. And I was like, first five or six minutes, all ketamine chat. Yeah, it's quite funny considering like we had like like a really like amazing guest on. We might have picked up some new listeners from that potentially. And the <laughs> first thing we're talking, gone. <laughs> talking about, yeah, uh, just like yeah, <laughs> and and now klaxons and the nude era drugs. No, just kidding. Like <laughs> uh, yeah, let's get back more on brand for a bit because uh, we got quite a bit on the schedule for um, what we've seen this week and I think uh, I'll jump back and forth here I'll end with the thing that we've both seen uh, but I'll go to one of mine first and uh, that is Amazon Prime's new series Utopia now Jack do you know anything of Utopia? I don't I must admit okay so this is the Amazon Prime adaptation of a Channel 4 original series by the same name from maybe six or seven years ago. There was a, a short series called Utopia. Okay, cool. And this version was adapted for Amazon by, uh, is it Gillian Flynn, the, the Gone Girl writer? Yes. Yeah. Is it Gillian rather than Gillian? It's Gillian, apparently, yeah. Yeah. I, I never know whenever I see yeah. it, so I would just refer to her as G. Flynn. you know there's like a long and storied history of uh the americans adapting british television and you watch it and go why yeah in the in-betweeners is probably the most egregious one of the of them all well this might be in the running wow so utopia the original channel four jack i can't recommend that series enough it's all on all four as far as i know Mm. the first series at least is definitely available on blu-ray Right. And it is one of the coolest and most visually sumptuous shows I've ever seen in my life. The way that show is shot, the colour, the soundtrack, uh, it's so amazing. And like the, the casting is pitch perfect in it. There's very few people you'd recognise really from anything. There's a couple of people you'd recognise from stuff since. I think maybe one of the most famous people in it at the time was the guy who plays Arby. I think the actor's name is Neil Maskell. Mm. 
Um, he, you might know him from uh, the, is it Shane Meadows film, Kill List? I see Ruth Gemmell is in it, who was the yeah. main love interest in Fever Pitch, which is a film yeah. I have a huge soft spot for. You you should absolutely watch this. Uh, it's probably, uh, it, it's got some very accurate pandemic vibes because it has to do with um, a comic book manuscript that has had a little kind of cult following on the internet that seems to have predicted a lot of things that have happened in the world or be communicating things that are going to happen with regards to a virus. I see. So uh, for a second there, I was like, has it got that sort of Simpsons predicted it vibe to it? Yeah, it's it's really like it's proper good. It's it's fantastic television. There's not that many episodes of it, so you'll get through it quick enough. Um, but the American version is so like, oh, God, the color is drained out of it. They've replaced this unique, quirky, uh, original composition uh, of a soundtrack with like just indie rock mm. fuzz. Um, the It looks massively expensive as well. Like when you probably could have just either paid for a third season of Utopia or paid to have Utopia on Amazon Prime, the original version, for a lot less, I would say. Because like John Cusack is in this show. Rain Wilson is in this show, the the American adaptation. Like yeah. it's, you know, it's it's probably cost a pretty penny. Um, But it's just so, especially when you've seen, maybe it, it, it works better for you if you've never seen the UK version you might not see where the potential, you know, yeah, is. Yeah, it's possible. It's a bit like when I uh, watched the the movie The Goldfinch and, and really enjoyed it, and everyone that had read the book told me they hated every single second of it. Mm. One of those. Normally, I would like, even if it's just kind of meh, I'd still kind of make my way through it. And I had intended to watch the whole first season on Prime. But Jesus Christ, Jack, I, like, honestly, I could only get through the first half of the first episode. Wow. That's how just like so devoid of everything. Like you can see the very loose threads that they pulled from the original series. And it's just, it was just so disappointing. And everything was the most, like, I, I hate to say it was so American, but you know what I mean? Like it was just uh, so, so disappointing. Yeah, I can hear it in your voice, man. You were clearly hyped to watch this. Like, and obviously booked an evening in, and I'm going to make my way through this show. I didn't think it was going to be as good, but I thought, oh, like, because I'm always up for, like, a new spin on a tale I'm familiar with, if it's good, Yeah, you know? I mean, it's weird that it has John Cusack in, and I hadn't heard about it, because I'm quite a a bit of a a Cusack stan. Yeah. Maybe not stuff that he's done recently, though, mate. I, I, I can't remember the last time... I'm trying to think what was the last John Cusack thing I really liked, and it might well be Hot Tub Time Machine. Yeah, it's been it's been it's been a rough couple of years for the man. Yeah. Um. But yeah, like I I mainly bring it up just to recommend you know people who either haven't heard of it or haven't gotten round to it to watch the Channel Four version because it's uh, it's such a shame that it never went past series two. But holy hell, those two series like. It's so, like I said, it's so visually appealing. The soundtrack is great. I think the casting is perfect in it. I love the story of it. And um, it's like, it's really grim and gruesome as well. Like, it, it, I love that juxtaposition of a really pleasant looking, all the colours are popping and it's so vibrant. And then there's like some, just some real dark shit going on as well, you know. Um, loved it. 
um, but not the American version at all, sadly. Oh, man. Um, you have seen something called Schemers, my friend. So, yeah, Schemers is uh, it's a cool little movie. It's about a bunch of... Uh, well, specifically one guy, but like he, he, he has these two friends that he kind of goes into business with. But uh, he is sort of young and hasn't really got much of a, a direction. He's he's a footballer. He plays for like a, a Sunday league team, but he still has like aspirations of, of going pro. And he gets injured like within the first sort of five, ten minutes of the movie. And he's like, right, well, this football thing's not really going to work out. And he kind of has that... Um, you know that thing that a lot of people have when they're they're young and and they're just coming out of, of like organized education and stuff like what am i going to do kind of thing and he ends up you know through one means or another um starting to book bands and put bands on with with his two mates one of whom is like the local weed dealer and the other one is like a dj um but he, he's a bit older than them too, um, and he still kind of has uh, aspirations of, of making it big in the music business. So it's set in Dundee, which for me, I found super cool because I watch a lot of British movies and, you know, like if it's a movie set in Scotland, it's in Glasgow or Edinburgh. If it's a movie set in London, I mean, in England, lots of the time it seems to be like in London or it will be like somewhere in the north, maybe Manchester. So you don't get a lot of like this movie set in you know, uh, I don't know, Carlisle, like it, it barely ever happens. Um, so I'd never really seen anything set in Dundee. So I, I quite enjoyed it from that aspect. But anyway, yeah, it's just, it's kind of like has a little bit of the train spotting vibes, uh, a little bit of that sort of, not almost like a gangster movie, but like Scottish version. But yeah, like it definitely borrows a little from the Guy Ritchie canon. And uh, yeah, it's it's a fun movie, and I think the reason it's significant is because there's re- there's really not a lot in, in the cinema at the moment. So I was quite happy to find something like this, and like the main sort of central thing of the movie is them trying to book Iron Maiden to come and play a show in Dundee, like right as they were just about to break and be like a hugely popular metal band. And I was a massive Iron Maiden fan when I was a kid, but. I mean, really just wanted to, it's a good movie. Like it's a six, seven out of 10. Like there's a few laughs in it. Um, it's, it's a 90 minute movie, which I really enjoyed these days because I'm like, right, if a film can like not be too bloated and just be enjoyable and, and tight and well edited and fit into 90 minutes, then I think that's pretty cool. And it's actually based on a true story of this guy um, who, who did actually start doing these promotions in Dundee and then eventually moved to London and, and had like a really cool career in the music business that I had to read about afterwards. But it's going to be the last film that I see in the cinemas probably this year, Dave. Um, Cineworlds, who I kind of have a, a movie, a pass with, uh, where you can buy like yearly and go and see whatever you want basically for the year. They've shut all their cinemas down and a lot of cinemas in the UK have been shut down, especially after they cancelled the Bond movie. And yeah, this is this is kind of sad. So I didn't know, what's the deal in, in Ireland? Do you have a, a similar situation? So we have only one Cineworld anywhere near here, and it's in Dublin. Um, I'm assuming... Now, I, I don't know whether it was outright owned by Cineworld or if it was a franchise, because it did exist before it was called Cine, Cineworld. Hmm. Um, so I couldn't speak for sure whether it'll be shut down permanently or what. I haven't really been following, you know, what's happening with that one. Um, 
I know we've got Odians here. That would be the dominant chain. And there's been no word on... Like, they're open at the moment. Like, but not all day, every day. It's kind of like they're opening at the weekends and rerunning, like, loads of kids' films. Uh, and the odd grown-up film. <laughs> yeah. They had been doing the thing... Like, they had been doing the social distance. I think it was, like, since July that they'd been back. Right. Uh, and they're keeping, like, a skeleton staff on. So I think they're 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 keeping the cost as low as possible. Now, I don't know who they've had to furlough or anything like that. Um, Odeon's pockets, insofar as I'm aware, are deeper than most chains. Um, because they're a big, like... Big, big brand. Um, but we'll, we'll see hopefully they don't go anywhere for, because it's the the Odeons are the only things that are like within an hour of me um, so hopefully they don't go anywhere um, but yeah it's a it's a grim time that's for sure it is it's a grim time for the for the cinema industry and you know I always it's, it's like a real escape going to see a film in a cinema and you know yeah. just get in the train couple of stops you know go sit like in a darkened room with a, like a community of people for a couple of hours don't look at my phone you know don't think about anything else just kind of focus on the movie uh i find it it's like i didn't realize how important it was for me to be doing that maybe once a week or once every other week and until yeah. it was gone um and yeah I, it's, as as much as i kind of enjoyed schemas when i saw it and stuff i kind of wish i'd uh savored it just a little bit more now because i think that'll be the last time i'm there for well i think 2021 is probably the next time i see a movie in the cinema with people yeah i i feel the exact same about like how i didn't realize how important cinema was um it's something i used to use whether it was to de-stress from work or whatever that it was like oh it's somewhere i can go where i can't look at my phone even if i want to i just get it it forces me to plug out from the world and and enjoy a story for a couple of hours and yeah i think as well because it harkens back to the times we were going when we were small i think there's some part of the cinema ritual that's very comforting whether you're with people or you're on your own and going to the cinema on my own is something I only discovered I'd say in about 2016 as being like wow this is actually really good yeah. uh, you know you're you're conditioned to believe it's a communal experience but then I think when I was working in there was a school I was working in where I'd have to walk past the cinema on the way home and one day I just went in because there was a film that none of the lads I was living with at the time fancied seeing and I was like right I'll go in and grab a go see the matinee on the way home and I was like holy shit this is good because you don't talk to anybody when you're sitting in there once the film starts so it exactly. doesn't really make a difference uh, and that was a big penny drop moment for me. People still I, have that I speak to at work. Like some people, I'll, I'll be like, "Oh, they're like, what are you doing later?" Or I was like, "Oh, I'm just going to catch a movie on the way home from work." Because like it's literally like two stops from my my hometown, like on the way back from work. And they'll be like, "Oh, who are you going with?" And I'm like, "I should go by myself." And and then you still get people who are like, "Why would you go cinema by yourself?" Yeah, they haven't discovered it yet, Dave. They're not free like yeah. us. <laughs> but yeah, and that's it. It's a thing where like the the people who are like that, it isn't that they think it's bad. It's just that they haven't discovered it for themselves. Yeah. Um, I don't know why people stigmatize it. Uh, I'm trying to scroll back on my letterbox here and see like what was the last thing I saw in a cinema. Um, it looks like it was either Parasite or Dark Waters. Um, oh, well, Parasite is... Oh, to be fair, both those movies are, are very good. I, I saw Dark Waters this year, but it feels like I saw it about 15 years ago now. Yeah, I saw it at the start of March. So it was like right before I went to Germany. And when I, the weekend I went to Germany was the weekend before lockdown started in, in Ireland. Or two weeks before lockdown started in Ireland. Um so yeah, that definitely was. Dark Waters was the last one I saw. 
and everything else what I've gotten myself into now and you know this I was talking about it over the summer is that I do like either a series of films watching them commit to watching them or I do uh, like a a director's filmography uh, or now when I was tweeting this out last night Jack because it's October tis the season uh, I decided I was going to watch a bunch of spooky films um, and I was kind of you know I'd usually go through the faves you know I'd watch like The Thing I'd watch the original Halloween bits like that you know some of the old favourite horror movies or some of the underrated faves like I love It Follows I love um, The Exorcist 3 <laughs> is like a surprisingly decent sequel and much better than The Exorcist 2 which isn't hard Exorcist 2 one of the all time worst uh, horror sequels yeah but um, I'd watch stuff like that but this year I was like oh I want to do something a little bit different and this brings me in nicely to the next thing I'm going to talk about you'd swear I'd planned it um, I was listening to so Easy Allies who are a popular uh, kind of collective of uh, a video game website YouTube channel they have a film podcast called Reaction Shots that I listen to every month and it's brilliant because they pick a different theme and they just talk about it for two hours so it could be they've done the the filmography of Wes Anderson as an episode they did Nick Cage films last month nice Uh, yeah it's good they did samurai movies one year or one month Uh, like really good themes that you can just like I always come out with them with like oh here's my homework that I'll go and watch all these Um, like that's remember I was telling you they had a a month about heist films do you remember that when I was telling you and Ian that we need to watch Rafifi Mm. yeah that's where I got that from because I was like oh I hadn't heard of this then I watched it I was like oh this is badass Um, but they had literally just yesterday as I was thinking about oh what horror films will I watch they dropped an episode not just about horror because they did a general horror one last year maybe the year before Uh, but this this year they did a theme specifically around the idea of like folk or cult horror movies okay Um, interesting both kind of trying to decide in kind of borderline cases does this count as a cult or folk horror movie uh, and then once they got into that, then they kind of listed out their favourite ones. But the list I have here, so A Field in England, the, the Shane Meadows movie, which is one I haven't watched in a long time. So I want to go back and rewatch that. Uh, Apostle, which is a movie with Dan Stevens in it. And I was kind of like, oh, I like him and stuff. So I'll watch that. Uh, the original Candyman, which I haven't watched in many, many years. Uh, Colour Out of Space from last year, which I saw so many trippy screenshots of, but just never got round to. Uh, Hereditary, which is the by the same guy who did Midsummer. Uh, Incident at Loch Ness. Have you ever heard about this? No. Incident at Loch Ness might be up your street because it's a mo- it's a horror mockumentary uh, about Werner Herzog going to make a movie about the Loch Ness monster, and Werner Herzog is in it as himself. Oh, I was going to say who's playing Werner Herzog, but. I mean, it, now it's I actually, know it's Werner Herzog, then yes, yeah. I feel like I want to watch that. <laughs> um, then Kill List, which I already mentioned. Uh, Mandy, the Nick Cage movie from 2018. Midsummer, Reanimator, which I recently watched the Red Letter Media review on. Um, the Hole in the Ground, which is uh, an Irish horror movie from last year that I kept meaning to go see and never did. Uh, Vi, which is a 1967 movie that is the first Soviet Union horror movie that was released outside the Soviet Union. Uh, um, it is basically the, the the scary thing in that, just capitalism. Like, it just shows, like, a yeah. regular day in America. 
Uh, the Hollow or The Woods, which is another Irish horror movie from about uh, 2005. And that has um, the man better known as Roose Bolton in it. Um, the Wind from 2018. And then the one which I watched last night. And I can't believe it took me this long to give it a proper watch. I've seen... I, I like I've I've started the film a couple of times and then had to stop to go do other stuff. Um, the witch, also known as the Vavitch. Oh uh, yeah, I, I I always feel like that looks like a typo when people write it like that, but that's actually yeah. what it is, right? Yeah, it's stylized in Old English because it's set in the sixteen thirties, uh, in Puritan New England. And it's a family of settlers come over um, and the, what are the name of the actors? Ralph Innocent and Kate Dickey, both also known from Game of Thrones, um, among other things. Um, they are the, the, the mother and father of this young family who had come over from, based on their accents, the north of England, to settle in New England. And the movie starts on them being banished from the colony over religious disputes. So they're out on their own on the, the edge of a woods um never a good start no and they have four children or no five children so they have a the oldest daughter who's played by anna taylor joy um a young boy two younger twins and a baby and at the very start of the movie the baby vanishes into the woods uh anna taylor joy is playing with the baby uh, right on the edge of the woods and she like does the peekaboo thing but she closes her eyes opens them and the baby is fucking gone and there's no sign of the baby um, and I don't want to give away the things that happen in it um, but it's a great story of like uh, witchcraft and paranoia and isolation uh, it's it's brilliant it's, it's really good and you know the way like a, a movie that's already creepy Jack is kicked up to the next notch when it involves creepy children yeah definitely it's worth a look I know you're not hugely into the spooks but uh, I think it's really good I, I think it's one of those like really genuinely good horror movies that aren't already necessarily based on a pre-existing film are few and far between these days yes. <laughs> so I like to try and hold on to them tight um, the I was trying to think It Follows which I mentioned is one of those as well where I'm like wow this fe- this felt like it was it borrowed on some horror tropes but the story itself was quite unique and the other one I think of a lot I, have you seen this Green Room? <laughs> no it's just sort of Green Wing but no I haven't seen no. Green Room so it's Anton Yelchin and uh, I can't remember most of the other bandmates but Alia Shawkat is one of them and I they're a punk that they're a punk band that plays a neo-nazi venue and they annoy the nazis and the whole basically the whole movie is them barricaded in the green room from this venue while the neo-nazis try to get in and murder them quite brutally and the the leader of the neo-nazis is one sir patrick stewart (laughs) what it is it's one of those like it's not a horror like a supernatural horror movie or anything like that it's more like a a master class intention yeah that, see that's a horror movie that i prefer i kind yeah. of when things get supernatural i i find it hard to get on board with it and yeah. I, and then i just end up not finding it scary kind of thing yeah. like so with you the know supernatural stuff it either has to be done very well yeah or it has to be done so badly it's very funny yeah so that's why jordan peele's movies are kind of right up my street because like yeah. 
there is an element of the supernatural there, but he kind of has a bit of a laugh with it and makes it very unnerving. Mm. I think things are really scary to me when they kind of stride that uncanny valley. Like when it's just straight up like demons and stuff like that, I'm like, nah. But it's just when it's like enough close to like a warped and twisted version of reality is, is what I really like. But yeah, that, that, that sounds good. I mean, it was, it's Patrick Stewart, like one of the biggest kind of lovey actors you can think of. Like, is he really intimidating as a, a head of yeah, a like, neo-Nazi crew? Like, it's proper, like, the kind of calm and reason scary. <laughs> like, where he just, he, he doesn't really raise his voice. And it's more like the implication of how scary he is. Like, it's, you know, you kind of need to, I watched this, me and Brian went to see this in a cinema because I saw the trailer and I was like hyped out of my goddamn mind. And I dragged him along and it is one of those, like, it's, it's so stressful in a good way. Like, it's, oh, it's brilliant. I love it. Uh, My recommendations here would be, I think you'll enjoy The Witch because there is supernatural stuff, but I think it's both well done and kept to the periphery for a lot of the movie. I think the tension is, and the paranoia is first and foremost. And then there's kind of like the supernatural stuff around it. But, uh, yeah, a light recommendation for you for The Witch and a strong, you should probably watch this today recommendation for for Green Room. You've been very ambitious with your list, I must say, Dave, though. You must have named a good 15 or 20 movies there. Uh, yeah, it's going to be a big month of horror movies for me. I'm hyped for it. Look, let's talk about the, the show we've been waiting to talk on this show about for, fuck, I don't know how long. Um, together now that we're both up to date uh, and that is The Boys oh yes what a goddamn show this is uh, we will stay spoiler free uh, for the second season ladies and gentlemen um, because I know it only just came out on Friday and we're recording this on the Sunday so I want to spoil it um, so bad <laughs> uh, very loosely Jack for people who haven't heard of the Amazon original series The Boys uh, do you want to set up the premise of the, the show as a whole so, yeah, so the premise of the show is that you, this exists in a world where we have superheroes, but the superheroes are controlled by this like slightly shady corporation called Vought. Um, and there's seven of them, so it's kind of like an Avengers-style team. Uh, and the show starts off with... Um, initially, he was kind of the main character before um, Billy Butcher comes into it. But uh, our, our, our sort of protagonist in the first episode, for sure, is Hugh. And he is, you know, him and his girlfriend are about to step off a curb when one of the seven superheroes, one who has super speed, comes along and runs through his missus, basically. And so within the first two minutes of the first episode, you see a woman exploded uh, and he's left just holding her hands in his hands and nothing else. And at that moment, Dave, I was like this show is going to be a fucking riot. Like, you just knew straight yeah. away. Like, I can't believe how unbelievably fucked up that is to happen in, like, like one of the first frames of the show. Um, yeah. And then he obviously meets up with Billy Butcher, who leads a gang of merry people called The Boys, who are trying to bring down Vore and trying to bring down the superheroes, or soups, as they're referred to in the show. That is the premise. And it goes in some fucking directions, this show, doesn't it? Yeah. Uh, so th- three things in terms of casting that I want to talk about here is that one, Carl Urban is one of the great underrated treasures. Oh, he's brilliant. Uh, the only thing that is he, a bit shonky is his accent. <laughs> yeah, 
The other thing I want to talk about, so Homelander, the the sort of Captain America oh. slash Superman hybrid who is the like the scariest motherfucker in, in like in television at the moment. Uh, it took me multiple episodes to cop that that is Anthony Starr of Banshee fame and my jaw hit the floor um, because the blonde hair and everything like it and his performance just completely threw me off not realizing it's the same guy and then the other thing that it took me a couple of episodes uh, I was like where do I recognize Huey from and it isn't him I recognized it was his father because he is Dennis Quaid's son oh wow yeah and once you see that you can't unsee it. It's like the dude, as you know, funny enough, today as we're recording this, um, Overlord just landed on Netflix UK. And in that, Kurt Russell's son is in it. And once you realise that he's Kurt Russell's son, you can't not see Kurt Russell in his face. Yeah. Um, and it's the same with Huey Campbell in this. Uh, oh, by I the way, Overlord to- kicks fucking ass. Go watch that if you've never seen it. You're damn right. You want to talk You're about like right. a fucked up like horror movie. But yeah. like obviously the first half of it is a war movie, so yeah. people aren't expecting it. It's still it. like Saving Private Ryan for about half an hour. Yeah, it's it's Saving Private Ryan that very quickly becomes like one of the most disturbing things you ever see. But yeah, back to the boys. Yeah, but then by and large, like so outside of Carl Urban, who you'd recognise, and Anthony Starr, who you might recognise, um, and of course uh, our mate Gus Fring. Like, by and large... Oh, it's Simon Pegg as well, who's in, like, yeah. a very small role. Huey's dad in the first series, yeah. Yeah. Um, by and large, this is a cast of people I either didn't recognise or, like, I might have known them from one thing. Like, it's definitely not a cast of, like, established stars. And I think the show really benefits from that. You know, because it's something that, like, when casting in, like, a superhero show or something like that is just done, you know, we want to get big names in. I can't detach myself from the, like, like, say, the the famous one I always think of is how Tom Cruise was lobbying for years to play Ozymandias in Watchmen. And, like, could you imagine how bad that would be? Because you can't watch Tom Cruise film and see anyone but Tom Cruise. I see, mm, y- yes, but I want to see it still because Tom Cruise is fucking great and everything but then you are right he is always tom cruise but when you think about him in tropic thunder like yeah. if you didn't know that was tom cruise yeah. you know it, it took it took me as well because i didn't know he was doing that and it took me a few minutes to twig i was like is this fucking tom cruise like maybe there was a few accents in there but yeah I'd like to see him do something where he is given a role where he can't just be yeah. like that. And I think he gets cast in that role of Tom Cruise because he's entertaining as shit and that's what people want to see. So, yeah, I, I want to see that. But, uh, yeah, holy shit, like, this show is so good. And, like, every... They have, uh, like, perfected the art of... I think every single episode ends on some level of cliffhanger, but not in a way that feels very forced. And sometimes episodes you think you know the cliffhanger it's going to end on and then something so brutal or shocking happens that just completely distracts you away from what your preconception of the direction of the episode goes that the cliffhanger it does end on ends up being a surprise like you're like oh they're they're never going to resolve this like you know there'll be like somebody causing a load of problems oh this is never going to sort itself out and then like you know someone will just like straight up tear their arm off or something in the next scene and leave them dead and you're like oh uh, okay then that's that's the way this show is dave this show's fucking brutal man yeah 
Uh, and I love it. Yeah, it's just, it's so, it's what it is, is is like, it's the perfect antidote show to come around after 12 years of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. And you know, we on the show, we, we love our Marvel movies. Absolutely. Like we're not, we're not decrying them, but like, it felt like the perfect palate cleanser. It does. It's a, it's a really, it's a really unique take on yeah. superhero-dom. Um, and it's almost like, so it's something I know that. So James Gunn, before you know, he got to to do Guardians of the Galaxy. Like he did that yeah. movie Super, and he did, shut up crime. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> I think it's it feels like something he would have done. I think like were he not like a superstar these days, it seems like the sort of thing that mm. he would have directed. But yeah, Gar- Garth Ennis, like all of a sudden, I, I, and I don't know if it's just solely because of like Seth Rogen's extreme fandom of and and simon Pegg and stuff as well and just like the bunch of people that are influential at that level in hollywood but we've had the boys and we had a preacher show as well so it's like you've got this two twofold garth ennis um attack now of, of him doing these really like fucked up takes on you know what you would expect from from superhero things and he was doing it in comics ages and ages ago and i i just think we're at the point now with superheroes where we, we need to see something different and I think The Boys, the way I would sell it if I was doing an elevator pitch is it's a superhero show for people that are fucking sick of superheroes. Like, if you are yeah. done with superheroes because you're like, oh, they're all self-righteous and this, that and the other or whatever your problem is with them or, oh, yeah, you know, the, the, the superheroes always win, but it's always like clean cut and there's no jeopardy or whatever. I feel like this is a show, Dave, and I don't know if you agree, where at any moment you just feel like any of the main characters, any of the superheroes, anybody could just be ripped in half and the show yeah. would then just move on. It, it has yeah. that Game of Thrones element of like the early series of Game of Thrones where you're just like, oh my God, like where the fuck is this going? Like I've got genuinely no idea. But like from a person that's even more twisted than George R. R. Martin, I think, in the way that they approach it, it's... Yeah. And I'm at the point as well where it's like... I. I really want to read the comics, but I also don't know if I want to read the comics because it's like, I really want to read them, but I also want, like, whenever, you know, it might be another decade before season three arrives with the pandemic. But um, I, I don't know if I want what happens next spoiled on me either because I'm enjoying the ride on the show so much. Yeah, and also my worry is that I would read the comics and see, like, oh, there's me a few subtle differences or whatever, but then I would grow attached to the way the story is told there. And if it differs in the show, it might not differ for the better, and it, I, I might get upset. And I think of, like, Game of Thrones as well, which by series three was diverting significantly from the books, and then you had that divergence in people preferring the books or preferring the show. And then by the end, everyone agreed <laughs> that fuck this show. And I, yeah. I love... Listen, like, I will absolutely go to the, the wall... And the literal wall in Game of Thrones and the metaphorical wall to defend yeah. that show up until around season four five. Then I was like, yeah. okay, we're in flight of fancy territory, but I'm still liking it. And then season eight was one of the, I mean, I actually can't think of in my lifetime a bigger television disappointment other than maybe the end of How I Met Your Mother, which I've yet to watch an episode of back since because I was so pissed off with the way that show ended. Yeah. I can't think of a worse one than Game of Thrones. Yeah, it's it's iconically bad because I think even ones that people decried at the time. I think we talked about it on the show before when I was rewatching it, but like the way The Sopranos ended, which got shit on at the time. I think what watching back now, I I like it a lot more than I did then. Mm. Um, 
I, I think at the time, maybe people were more conditioned to get like a full circle closure in their long running TV series and felt kind of robbed of that closure. Getting to see either the happy or sad or well, at least conclusive in, in one way or another ending for, for Tony. Yeah. Like uh, but the- now I look back on it and I think actually that's pretty good because I don't think there's a way you could have ended it other than that that would have had everybody happy. Yeah. If he got a happy ending, half people would have been pissed that he never got his comeuppance. And if he got his comeuppance, the people who liked him would have been pissed that he didn't get his happy ending. So this way, it was... it. You could... Some people could characterise it as a cop-out, but for me, it's like, oh, well, this way you can read into it whatever you want. Yeah, but it, it th- th- what I like is it breeds discussion. You know, it's the yeah. end of Inception. You know, but wh- wh- where, where are we? And then you get people that talk about it like, you know, when I talk about The Sopranos with people, everyone's like, oh, Tony's absolutely dead. And it's like, well, no, he's not. You don't you don't know that he has died. And yeah. then they're like, well, you know, they would have shown him dying if he was going to die. Like, they were making way to do, like, a movie or more shows at one point or whatever. And I was like, no, I just... I don't even think that. I just feel like they kind of want you to make up and draw your own conclusion for the character. And they've left it open-ended enough that you can then spend the next... And it is over a decade since the Sopranos ended. As scary as that that is to me personally, I'm I'm actually in 2021. You should look this up because I'm sure they're going to England. If you know, you know, God willing, there are venues. But there's a Talking Sopranos podcast now, yep. and they are touring and they're coming to Dublin. And I'm going to see them. And it's uh, it's Christopher Moltisanti, uh, Bobby Bacala, and Big Pussy Bumpin' Sierra are are on the panel oh, when it wow. comes to Dublin. Yeah, so I'm going to go see them talk about the Sopranos for a couple of hours, hopefully, in 2021. I, I um, love that, like, you know, it's kind of like the um, Scrubs podcast, which I'll put over until I go green in the face. <laughs> um, I don't think I've ever had more of a home run recommendation than that show with you. No, but it's funny you should mention that, because that's a nice way to kind of wrap up the boys, is what I wanted to say about it, most of all, is when I watched, I finished, like, the first episode, and I was like fucking dave ryan will absolutely love this and immediately went onto like facebook messenger and was like bro <laughs> you need to watch the boys yeah you're gonna love this show and you know what a lot of the time everybody has different priorities and orders of things they want to watch you know it's not always easy to get to stuff um everyone lives in a world of infinite recommendations from friends family tv yeah. shows blah 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 so it's like i if they i just you know i you want someone to watch something but i'm like look if he doesn't get to it he doesn't get to it but like when i saw yeah. that you were watching it and saw how much you were enjoying it i was so happy because i was like yeah i that is just absolutely spot on the sort of shit that's right up your street mm. I thought you, this was going to be your pitch for you, me and Barry to host a boys podcast like <laughs> Fake Doctors Real Friends. Oh, hell yes. Get like <laughs> first guest, Carl Urban, sound alike. Dave, Dave, Jack and Barry are the boys boys. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> the boys lads. Yeah. But you know what? You need oh, to go you know, do, we could do it. it. You know, like what? instead of boys to men, you could do just the boys from men and then have like the boys <laughs> to men logo. And that would be the podcast. I love that we're on a podcast uh, pitching other podcasts. Yeah. Oh, what else are you going to do when Mark's not here? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> he can't make us do what, what's on the agenda. I mean, Dave, <laughs> I feel like on this video games podcast, should we maybe talk about some uh, yeah. some of the old some of the old video games? I think so. And you uh, you haven't been playing that much. Oh well, uh, I mean, I'd so what I've been playing a lot of, and I, I kind of mentioned it a few weeks ago, but it really is like I'm back into it fully now as Pokemon Go. So, like, yesterday, I did, like, 20-odd thousand steps. 
Pokemon Go for a walk. Exactly. It's actually improving my uh, my health situation and making me get up off my ass a bit more during the pandemic when, you know, I'd be quite happy to stay in and rewatch Carl Urban smashing someone in the face on the boys. Um, and call them a cunt. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I mean, there, there really should be a, a count of how many times he uses the C-bombs on those shows. Yeah. It is, it's pretty disturbing. But yeah, uh, and that, and do you know what? I spend like the last few weeks, and again, I'm not going to go into it because I've talked about it a thousand times, but I'll spend like an hour in a Hitman map just going and messing around and throwing like, you know, cans of Coke at people across the map and, you know, just sniping um, like uh, the the canisters of gas or whatever and blowing crowds up from like, you know, miles away or whatever. Um, so I'm like really playing like just silly kind of you know like unincidental uh, games at the moment just just really waiting to uh pick up maybe like an avengers or a ghost of tsushima on a bit of a discount um and then obviously probably get onto some cyberpunk at some stage as well and then just in the last few months really round out the things of the year that i haven't really played as much as we we come into game of yeah. the year season I, I think with that backlog and with cyberpunk still coming it's what has me not so annoyed that i couldn't get my pre-order in for the ps5 because i'm like I, like I honestly don't know if I'd get through the ba- if the PS5 came I think the PS4 would get boxed up and there's stuff I'd never finish so I think the the reality that I probably won't be able to get my hands on one till January at the earliest is probably better for me mm, yeah that makes sense I just couldn't help myself <laughs> I was just like I have to get a pre- I don't even know why um, I do want to play the Miles Morales game I could play it on the PS4 probably but yeah I just got really excited and I was like you know what again like you not going out as much not spending as much money I was like right well I- I'm thinking like a 12 13 year old kid who's like what would you do and that 12 13 year old kid would be like pre-order the PS5 so that's exactly what I've done <laughs> <laughs> But uh, yeah, you've been playing a lot of Pokemon Go and, and that's been kind of like, it is great to have that kind of uh, augmented reality excuse to, to get out and about. And they've made it, the thing is as well, they've made it during the pandemic more so you can play it from home. Like the the, the player versus player battling feature on there is, is pretty cool, gives you some good in-game rewards and it's free as well. Like there's no kind of, you know, Pokemon Go is always very much like, so I've got two accounts because I'm sad. I'm sorry, <laughs> and like the the second account, like I don't spend like even a, a single penny on it, and it it just takes a bit longer to get stuff, but you still can have a good experience and a good time in in Pokemon Go without really spending a a, a single bit of money, which which I've quite enjoyed. Um, and they have these like remote raids now, so you know for like the uh, legendary Pokemon, they're all caught in like gym raids and stuff. So you know you'd need a certain amount of people, say like three or four people, to turn up to an area um, to all raid together to to beat down whatever this kind of big legendary boss is uh, and capture it. And obviously, when people stop being able to go outside, this isn't really viable anymore. So now you can like invite five people from your friends list so if you're out on a walk and you see a raid about to hatch you know you can either text your mates or just send blank invites to people like i've added loads of people from discord servers and all sorts of stuff uh and yeah it's cool then you can you know and then in that way like i'm sat there at maybe 10 11 o'clock at night and i'll like have a notification like yeah if somebody from like brantford connecticut has has sent me a raid (laughs) invite for like a legendary pokemon or something to to catch with them and that that's pretty cool so they've got like a good balance now of being able to play at home and being able to play it um 
like on the go. So yeah, I I think the way the game is now, it is pretty it's pretty good. Uh, if you're a sort of <laughs> sad person like me who who loves interacting with Pokemon products way too much. Um, the only thing I've been playing, and it just came out uh, this past, well, Tuesday if you paid for a special edition or Friday if you paid for the standard, is FIFA 21, my friend. Yes, this is the ultimate Dave Ryan dopamine video game experience, isn't it? I can't even explain it to you. It's just, it's it's unparalleled uh, for me. It is my my Call of Duty, my comfort game. That I just, no matter my mood, no matter what kind of day it's been, I can always throw on some career mode uh, and have a good time with it. Um, this year, Jack, I'm pleased to report, you know, there's no, like, they, so in terms of gameplay tweaks, there are, there are a few things. I think they've they've changed up some of the, the passing and shooting mechanics in it um, that have made, and the collision detection as well, making it all a bit more realistic um and a bit more challenging as well which is always like if you're going to introduce something that's an additional challenge for me an additional skill to master at this stage of my experience in fifa i'm all for it because like i'm playing on either world class or legendary all the time and kind of like looking for a challenge uh without having to play other people online because i hate people um so the things they've changed the things they've improved and refined in terms of physical gameplay absolute thumbs up there um, there's a couple of things that are still a bit kind of like um, holdovers in terms of bugginess that I think they seem to be getting to because even since the 1.0 they fixed a couple of them um, one of them it's just it's such a small thing like uh, and it doesn't really interfere with gameplay but it's like on occasion when you go to when you score a goal and you go to celebrate what will happen is when you hit your button combo that does your kind of whatever your celebration of choice is for your goal and uh, maybe one time in five or ten the camera won't do the close-up zoom showing like how the tv camera would would cut to um the the camera closest to where the people are celebrating show them celebrating the goal it will just hold on the wide camera um this is not like again it's just a like a small technical thing that i noticed because i play it so much i think if you were just casually playing it you wouldn't recognize it as a problem at all there's a bunch of other stuff they have fixed that were really troublesome towards the end of fifa 20 um in terms of quality of life of the game they've really made they've they've took some swings this year which i'm really happy with uh after god knows how many years i think i remember it being in fifa 2003 i couldn't remember the first year that they introduced it but uh they've gotten rid of like the store where you would uh trade your your in-game currency that you accrue through winning matches and cups and stuff like that in career mode or exhibition or online mode you accrue this currency and then there's like a store that would have classic jerseys or or different footballs different boots for your your um create a player uh your financial takeover option which like you unlock it and then the next time you load into career mode all of a sudden your bank account has been beefed out that whole store is gone now jack um and it's been distributed through like so a lot of the boots and footballs are just available already without you having to unlock them um when you start a career mode the financial takeover is there in the settings that you can toggle at the start so say you want to be um a championship club but you want to make them a nouveau riche club if you wanted to and you didn't really want a challenge you could give yourself a half billion pound in the bank starting off um 
something they've done to really because i again i am a career mode guy i love playing that mode uh something they've done to really increase the difficulty of it is to uh have a, a toggle for negotiations whether you want them to be loose or strict and uh i go for strict and it's great because it, it makes the whole negotiation process uh like it used to be once you had x amount of cash you could probably get whatever player you wanted but now it's stuff like uh players will decide they don't want to drop a league in terms of standards so you're not gonna be able to sign premier league players permanently if you're in the championship uh if you're in syria you're probably going to find it hard to find uh to like buy top top tier players who think that syria is a level beneath them um even when you're trying to sell players the players themselves won't want to go to just any club they'll want to go to a particular club so they'll start rejecting negotiations uh or when you're trying to uh, loan out a player clubs will try and drive a bargain to get a loan with option to buy in there instead of you just being able to loan them out and get them back automatically so they've really added a lot of quality of life stuff in there that I'm really enjoying so far. Um, and they've done stuff with like um, dynamic form. I, I can't remember if that's what they call it or not. But basically, if you play a player slightly out of position or if you there's a match sharpness feature as well, if you haven't played a player in ages, they are going to be like their overall rating is going to drop temporarily while they're not sharp or while they're being played out of position. Um, so like uh, for example I signed um, Benasser from Milan and I didn't play him for the first couple of games and then when I did play him I was playing him in the central defensive role because somebody got injured and I had to sub him on um, and he's out of position there so that dropped his overall by about three and then additionally his lack of sharpness ended up I think his overall was like minus six or seven on the pitch so he was much less effective so that has made you can't just you would end up having a very easy time in career mode before because you would be you just you'd try to fill out a squad of 22 players that you could just switch between your best 11 or your b team every other game but that doesn't work now with this sharpness because you'll end up with one being far less effective than the other um so yeah i i really really am enjoying that uh, and i think the the manager's objectives for the season as well are a bit more varied and dynamic as are the uh the answers you give in press conferences and things like that so i'm i'm very happy with this game so far it's not going to uh, talk anybody over who wasn't into FIFA beforehand, but I think for maybe um, regular FIFA players and people who've been away for it f- from it for a couple of years, like our friend of the show, Matt Niner, who's getting really into it this weekend, uh, I think this is one of the better ones in a few years. Mm. Yeah, uh, it's um, ultimate team sort of thing. That's the only knock mm-hmm. really with FIFA to me. Yeah, it is. Now, thankfully, it's, again, because it's its own separate mode, I am blissfully able to ignore it for the whole year. Now, you will always, when you log on to the home screen, you will see, oh, here's your latest rewards if you want to log into Ultimate Team now. But the only time I ever play Ultimate Team is if I think I'm going to get the Platinum on FIFA that year. I'll do the Ultimate Team for the trophies and then never play it again. Yeah, I hear you. I I, I stopped short of trying to get the Platinum trophy recently on, on Tony Hawk. Um, mm. and, and, and you know that moment when you just decide you're not going to get a platinum trophy on something I think that's, it's almost kind of freeing 
Yeah. So like if you if you get to like you've you've played like X amount of hours on FIFA and you're like I'm not going to get the trophy then you know you just never have to click on ultimate team ever. Yeah. There's a freeing and then there's also that moment before you finally decide where you're sitting and uh staring at the list of trophies going, will I? Yeah. <laughs> you know, there's that 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 come to Jesus moment. Um, and a lot of the time yeah, look, will I is answered with probably not. <laughs> Yeah, uh, look, it is one of the better entries in a few years. Uh, I probably because I don't know if I'm going to have more detailed thoughts about it unless the thing goes on fire or they introduce some sort of crazy mode to to change things up. I don't think I'll have subsequent reports on it, but I will be playing it fairly constantly for the year. I can assure you that. Um, we'll move into the news, and um, it looks like there's some rumors out there that we might be getting a Dreamcast Mini. Uh, in an interview with Japanese magazine Famitsu, Sega's, Sega's mini chief, uh, Yosuke Okanari, discussed what's next for the company's mini range, having already released a Mega Drive Mini in 2019, and in Japan only so far, the Game Gear Micro. Silicon Era <coughs> translated his answers into certainly some food for thought. I think the next one, we may go with a concept close to the Mega Drive Mini. If I have to say some names, it could be an SG-1000 Mini or Dreamcast Mini. And they say here in Eurogamer, let's be honest here, Sega is not going to make an SG-1000 Mini. The SG-1000, and I had to look this up, was Sega's limited release entry into the home video game hardware business. It came out in 1983, the same day Nintendo released the Famicom in Japan, and it predates the Master System by a couple of years. So we have a Dreamcast Mini on the cards, and that makes a lot of sense, I think, he says here. Um, Jack... I was never a Dreamcast guy. Were you a Dreamcast guy? And would a a Dreamcast Mini pique your interest? See, I never had a Dreamcast. I I played Dreamcast um, like around a couple of people's houses that had them, and I always really liked them. Uh, I always had a good time when I was playing it. I immediately am like, oh, you know, if there's a way that I can get a a Dreamcast Mini for a reasonable price, and you know, have a blast through Choo Choo Rocket again in 2020, then I'm up for it. But I think you've got to look at the success of like the Nintendo mini consoles and then maybe Sony sort of over-egging the pudding a little bit with the PlayStation Classic and and that not exactly flying off shelves and, you know, it was available at decent discounts, you know, even like a month or two after release. So you've got to try and gauge the market for this. With stuff like this, I often wonder, like, you know obviously Sega are a big company or whatever but a Kickstarter release for something like this or like a not, you can't say Indiegogo but Kickstarter would make sense like you want to gauge interest as to how many people would be up for a, for a Dreamcast Mini and I feel like if they're like right we're gonna we need to hit this target to make one and then just set like the minimum target and then anything over the top they can just get and then sell it in that format and then afterwards you know buy a few thousand more and just leave them on a web store I think as mentioned in this article, the four killer apps that they have for it are pretty damn good. Like, you want to tell me that for, like, you know, $60, $80, I can pick up this mini console that plays Virtua Tennis, Crazy Taxi, Soul Calibur, and Marvel vs. Capcom 2? <laughs> yeah, I mean, the, like, you can play Crazy Taxi in quite a lot of ways, to be fair. Um, yeah. But, yeah, if you if you have it, those those are four that you definitely want. And, yeah, why is Choo Choo Rocket not on that list, Dave? Where's the love? Uh, I don't know, man. I don't Where's know. Where's the love? You need to bring that shit up with Sega. Yeah. Um, 
we got, speaking of consoles, we got a look inside the PS5 this week, the enormous monolithic PS5, uh, in a, like a full seven minute teardown video from Sony. It's like very unusual, but very interesting, I think, uh, for people who are console nerds. And like, I think the big takeaway, Jack, as we were talking about in our group chat this week, is people talking about the fucking size of the thing. But to me, I'm very excited by how kind of like easily accessible and customizable and things it looks like. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I like that as well. I think I think Sony recognized that, you know, people want to change hard drives uh, and whatever kind of awesome SSD that they have in there now, you know, it's still going to be what? What is it? One point three terabytes or something like that yeah i think it's once you put the os on it it's about one terabyte left right so you know in say two or three years time it might be viable to buy like a four terabyte hard drive for like a hundred pounds or something and the idea of being able to just pop the plate off undo a few screws you know clone your your ps5 hard drive to this new massive four terabyte hard drive and then just pop it back in I mean that's really appealing. It's really appealing because yeah. you external hard drives. Uh, it's just awkward, isn't it? You've got it's always got to be plugged yeah. in. There's a wire hanging out. This, mm-hmm. that, and the other thing, uh, which we'll be talking about in another news story. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, so I I like this, and you know one of the cool things about it is you'll start seeing people selling custom plates. So if you don't like your PlayStation Five looking like an old school uh, Wi-Fi signal booster. Uh, you can immediately, you know, as soon as the sort of modern community, and they move fast, uh, both hardware and software, but as soon as the modern community kicks up, you'll be able to buy all sorts of plates for it, you know, but but whatever your interests are, there'll be like t-shirt equivalent levels of people getting stuff, I'm sure. So the um the, the the replaceable hard drive thing is something that was introduced with the PS4 and having replaced hard drives in multiple PS4s for myself and for my friends and having done it in the PS4 Pro as well I can tell you it's one of the cleverest things a console manufacturer has done in so long and it's such I can't even describe to you Jack I don't know if you've done it with your own I PlayStation did. but it is Yeah, it's the easiest process in the world. Like, as Giant Bomb illustrated on YouTube, you can literally just do it with a pen knife. That's how easy it is. Um, So keeping that is crucial. Um, Something that it it really assuaged my worries about how, like, with the size of the thing, I was worried about its centre of gravity because I want to to stand it vertically Mm. behind my TV, but I was worried about knocking it over. But there's this giant circular stand that lowers the centre of gravity in it, stops you... stops it from being so easy to knock over and it's something that if you I think it's like if you want to store it horizontally there's like a screw in the stand you take it out and then you clip it behind the PS5 for storage Um, so that assuaged my fears about that um, two other things um, because you you mentioned the being able to take off the, the, the casing on it Uh, two other things I wanted to draw attention to that I really liked so the Blu-ray drive in it is completely covered in a sheet metal case Mm. and around that sheet uh, metal case it's insulated with two layers of insulators right and that will that will uh, make the machine much quieter because you're going to hear less vibration and less noise when the disc is spinning in the drive um, and then the other thing, speaking of noise and speaking of a current, uh, a constant problem PlayStation units have, and that's dust. Yeah. 
So there are two holes on the bottom that are used to vacuum out the dust and there are dust traps inside in it. But in this seven or eight minute video, it shows that it is very easy to crack open the PS5, get to the dust filters and clean them. So, you know, like you could, and I frequently do because, you know, with any sort of like my, my PS5, my PS4 is obviously black. So the dust shows up on it. So you want to be dusting it frequently. And there's only so much you can do on the outside because there's going to be dust collecting on the inside through the vents. Um, and eventually, as happens with so many PlayStations, the dust will just accumulate and the thing will start overheating. Yeah. Um. Now I'm much less concerned about that happening. I can't wait to see what bugs are bricking PS5's next generation when they seem to have solved so many of the ones that used to brick PS3s and PS4s. Um, but yeah, the dust thing is is definitely a big deal that they've come up with some sort of quality of life thing to help you maybe extend the thing out by by frequently cleaning the unit. Uh, so I'm happy with that. It was an uh, like it wasn't the most uh, eye catching. Wow, this is why you're going on a PS4, but I think or PS5. But I think for nerds like us who have identified problems with the form factor of previous sony consoles i i think this was kind of good news for us yeah completely agree like i like it when companies take a practical approach to their hardware and they're not just making it look nice or you know making decisions that kind of affect the end user negatively like you want to be able to upgrade your hard drive if you need to you want to be able to easily clean it you want it to be stable all of this sort of stuff so uh, you know, even though it's like a seven-minute video or whatever, and, and and a lot of people probably won't care. I think for for people like us who who enjoy the practicalities and ergonomics of of design when it comes to a console, will really appreciate all the things that that Sony have kind of done here. Uh, in our next news story, we have some sales news from the end of September that I think in some ways is quite surprising. Like, depending on how you look at it, it's either quite surprising or when you consider how big a brand Mario is, maybe not as surprising as would first appear. Uh, and that is the news that Super Mario 3D All-Stars physical copies outsold the Avengers in September. <laughs> um, I'm not surprised. It sold... So it sold more physical copies in two weeks than Marvel's Avengers did in four so the the ways in which it's surprising, I guess, are the Avengers is sorry is like and Marvel in general one of the biggest kind of popular brands in the world right now. Not only that, but the Avengers was available on PlayStation and Xbox and possibly PC, I think. Uh, and Super Mario 3D All Stars just available on the Switch, and it still sold more in half the time. Yeah. I I mean, this is what happens when you say this is only going to be out for six months as everybody jumps on a bandwagon and goes and buys it. That definitely would have had yeah. an effect. But I think it would have done... I think it would have done better than the Avengers regardless because we people have been waiting a long time to have these games on the Switch, you know? I mean, they uh, the argument that you could have dumped them on there straight away, clearly, is this has all been part of their business strategy is to drip feed this content and make it more valuable. And now you can see the value of doing it that way. What's crazy about it to be, uh, among other things, is to learn that it's the only the third biggest launch of the year uh, after The Last of Us 2, okay, and Animal Crossing, <laughs> 
which as you'll remember is maybe the best timing of a game release in modern history that that game released I think a couple of weeks after most of the western world went into lockdown yep I was going to say the Animal Crossing one doesn't surprise me. It's also the fact that like the everyday nature of the way you play it, you know, is very comforting for yeah. people at the moment because people have like completely lost control of their schedules. Like everyone's yeah. life has changed. It's like if you have something that becomes a core part of your day-to-day life, even if it's like, you know, making sure you pay Tom Nook for something, then Hell yeah, like Animal Crossing, it, it makes a lot of sense that it became that sort of, again, that video game dopamine for people around that time. And, you know, that was back then when everyone was looking for something to get into and it was being recommended. And it would have been big anyway, but I think the word of mouth and how much people were enjoying it was a, was a huge boon for it. And yeah, spot on timing. It's almost as if Nintendo planned this pandemic so they can pin no, that just uh, kidding right. here he is <laughs> big tinfoil hat stuff no just kidding but yeah. yeah um so next up in more hard drive related news quite an exciting week of news this week i'll tell you that i love storage um, so this is from your gamer as well xbox series x and s's one terabyte expandable storage card has been revealed um i will say the size of the thing is quite adorable like it seems like about the size of a pack of tic tacs um, but it is going to set you back, Jack, $220, yes. which is about £170 sterling. Yeah. I mean, it'll be 200 quid, won't it, when it comes over here? Yeah. Yeah. So here's the thing about this. Like, it's like, oh, it's a cool little thing. It's a handy, in terms of size, way to expand the storage in your thing. But, like, <laughs> you look at one of the major, if not the major, selling point of the Series S is how cheap it is uh, for a Game Pass machine, but the trade-off with that being it's only got a 512 gigabyte internal storage. And you go, okay, well, I'll just get the expandable storage where that comes out. But if you're lamping on 170 uh, pounds or $220 to the cost of your Series S, like at that stage, Jack, you might as well just buy the Series X. Yeah. Yeah, just it... it, I don't know, man. This defies logic to me. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah. Why would you bring this information out as if it was like you know what it feels something like? to be proud of? Like, do you know what I mean? They they didn't have to do this. Like, why did they think they could have waited? That's what I mean. They didn't have to announce this before the thing. It's like if you could, people want to talk about storage space or whatever. Like, and you know, if you get the Series S, you can get this thing. Like, sure. Don't tell us how much it costs if you're. <laughs> yeah, not only that, but I will say as well, even of the 512 that's already available on the Xbox Series X as the Xbox Series S, um, Eurogamer does point out that Microsoft has yet to confirm even how much of that 512 is actually free. Like whether that's 512 after the OS is on or 512 before you add the OS to well, it. Uh, when they haven't confirmed that, I think we know that's before. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, that is what that those are how you would read between the lines, but yeah, it's just it it's it's funny to me. Uh, it reminds me very much, Jack, of the uh, the PSP and Vita memory cards. Oh yeah, that was like these tiny things that are proprietary. You can't just put an SD card in your Vita or in your PSP. You have to buy them from us, and they're extortionately expensive. Yeah, and that really killed it for me. I think the PS Vita yeah. should have done because the PS Vita is really good. I love my Vita. Yeah, it was really good. It It's kind of like, you know, obviously the Switch is now the, the gold standard, but that PS Vita thing, they, they should have been more... They should have gone more along the line of cross-play, like more games should have come yeah. out 
cross and, and if you got it on one you could get it on another and it should have been better and easier to upgrade memory and there was a bunch of decisions that sony made with the ps Vita that kind of killed it um but yeah. you know in isolation in terms of just like a really good handheld console it was like a massive massive upgrade on the psp uh yeah and it was a great indie machine it was a great indie game machine as the indie game market like started becoming very significant and yeah, it was it was super portable, and it's just a shame that it kind of had those those things that that put people off it, and and yeah, it could have been way better. But back to Microsoft, it feels like an own goal. I wonder how long it is before they kind of have a bit of a come down on the price, or we start seeing YouTube videos crop up of here's how to reasonably at a reasonable price how to uh, upgrade the the storage in your Xbox Series S. Well, that, yeah, that was one of the, the great things about the PS4 is that you could just get a Seagate hard drive, pop the casing off it, and that would go in. You wouldn't have to get an official Sony expandable SSD. Yeah, exactly. Um, I mean, you, could, you could do it with a particularly thick credit card, like pop the casing off and put it in. Our final news story, and it's one there's been an update on since, um, but it was one that we were going to talk about last week, and that was pressure mounting against EA because people noticed that they were uh, promoting microtransactions on FIFA in a toy magazine in the UK. <sighs> so in, in Smith's Toys magazine, they had an advertisement for FIFA 21 Ultimate Team, which had... Um, I'm just reading from the screenshot here. Step one, start playing FIFA Ultimate Team. Step two, use FIFA points to open packs and FIFA points. So there's there's two kinds of currency in it, uh, like there is in a lot of these games, where there's the, the kind of currency you earn by playing, yeah. and then there's FIFA points, which you can only get through microtransactions. Yeah. And then uh, step three, build your dream squads. Um, so this was advertised in, in Smith's magazine and people went absolutely crazy online. And I think it was maybe about three days later, I want to say, that they pulled the uh, the advert from from the magazine. Now, it had been pointed out on Twitter at the time that they've been doing this kind of stuff for years. Uh, somebody uh, replied to that original tweet uh, and put in a screenshot. Now, they had, yes, been advertising in like video game shops, like a game or, or a game stop. They had posters up explaining how that system worked. And much as that is also pernicious and awful, I think it's another line being crossed when you're just flat out putting it in the kids' toys magazines at this time of year when everyone's looking at it for their Christmas presents. Do you know? Um, Neither are right, but I think one is more... Maybe normalised isn't the right word, but it's almost like you would expect to see those kind of advertisements in the GameStop where it's like pitching it to them in the magazine that they're leafing through looking for their Christmas presents feels like it's beyond the pale quite significantly. Yeah, I mean, if it said like earn coins in-game to build your ultimate squad, then it would be okay because you you get the, yeah. the game. They are just called coins as well, aren't they? An ultimate team that you have. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Um yeah, they they make decision after decision with with Ultimate Team. The one that really put me off was when they price bracketed everything a few years ago. So like people, because they had like an open market where you could buy players or whatever, and people get super rare cards. And then say yeah. if you got like a super rare card, you might be able to hawk it to to go and buy yourself some some more cards, kind of thing. Uh, and say yeah, you got like an inform Messi or whatever, and you're like, well, that's worth like a million in game coins probably on the on the trade market. And when they cop to people doing this, they use the excuse of, oh yeah, people mm-hmm. used to transfer coins from one account to another like this, and you know we 
blah 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 but really it just took the that fun out of it because the sort of hawking and trading and dipping and ducking and diving and making me feel like harry redknapp was one of the few things that i liked about ultimate team it's like i yeah. i would build up coins i would try and open a few packs um, i might occasionally spend a bit of money on it you know like if they had a weekend where they had like deep discounting on the fifa points or the or they would like bring it out massive packs or something like special ones and then you would try and sell your stuff try and make a profit try and reinvest it try and build your team that way but then when they started price bracket and everything i was like oh this sucks you know like i now i don't even have the option of i, I like remember getting a cristiano ronaldo card and selling it for a few hundred thousand coins in game and like picked up a few players from that like it felt like an actual transfer market um and that that yeah. they took that away and yeah that that i don't know how much longer of ea getting away with fifa ultimate team before someone cracks down on it do we think or do we think they just have got away with it now because all the loot box conversations have gone haven't they yeah i think they have clean gotten away with it at this stage the thing about it is that like as well as those concerns you have what it what it's done now is if you're somebody who wants to get into ultimate team you feel the heavy pressure to invest real money because there's such a gap between how quickly you can build a competitive team by yourself off your own back and how like the whole uh ultimate team space is just filled with whales who are spending a bomb on their teams and like every every second team you're facing has like Ronaldo and Messi and you know like it's these ridiculously stacked teams yeah and like my best card is Jeff Hendrick and I'm out there trying to grind your choices are either to go in and actually spend money so that the game is in some way competitive to you or just be an old man like me and ignore online play altogether which I thoroughly recommend <laughs> because even a lot of the reviews when 21 came out on Friday a lot of the reviews I read said the exact same thing thing which is this game is a lot of fun to play and it's one of the best fifas in many years but everything bad about it stems from microtransactions uh and as long as ultimate team is in there that is going to be the case because i i think now that the genie's out of the bottle they they can't put it back in they 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 can't reverse course on this either they have to stick with it the way it is make their money or they're going to i don't think there is a half measure where you can make it a bit less pernicious it's either you have it or you don't at this stage um it's too far it's too far gone to kind of stem the tide of how out of control it was getting i'd just love to know the number how much they make out of the microtransactions like i'd love oh we had we had a stat there on the show a few months ago about it and it's like it's ridiculous it is obscene <laughs> the amount of money they make i just want to no but like i don't even want to i just want a pure cash number a year like this is exactly how much ea makes from ultimate team microtransactions i would love to know that number because i'm sure it's staggering and i'm sure ea earns more money from this and the Madden equivalent than they ever have done from selling video games physically in their lifetime, for instance. Across, uh, sorry, this is from last year. Across all sports franchises titles, including FIFA and Madden, EA generated a total of $1.49 billion through Ultimate Team alone. There you go. Last billion. year. With a B. Yeah. £1.49 yeah. billion. Pounds. That is terrifying amount of money so yeah we're not going to see the end of ultimate team ever and the the vast majority of that will be on fifa ultimate team because madden ultimate team is relatively new uh i don't know did madden one did that come after fifa 
Yeah, because FIFA have been doing it since, I think, like, FIFA 10 or 11. Yeah, I remember Ultimate Team coming out as a downloadable patch for one of the FIFAs at one point. And I was yeah. like, what is this, bollocks? And I got on it, and they gave me a bunch of shit players, and I couldn't get anyone good. And I was like, oh, this sucks. So I ignored it. And then the next mode, I remember that was when YouTube... They, I think they went after people like YouTubers and stuff like that. Uh, and then I started playing it and getting into it. And I'm like, oh, I like this, you know, and I was spending money on it. And then the, the next one after that, I spent quite a lot of money on it. And I was like, I have to stop this now. <laughs> this is getting mm-hmm, too much. Yeah. And then, yeah, the aforementioned uh, narrowing and, and price bracketing thing happened. And I was like, no, nah, fuck this game altogether. And you know what? After that, I kind of just went off FIFA as well. The spell was broken. Yeah, I kind of just went off FIFA, and I, I'm sad because now whenever I try and get back into it, like all the subtle changes they made to gameplay, like accumulate, and yeah, I, I just I'm not that good anymore. Um, and I was and getting excuses. Yeah, in. no, but I mean, I was really good, and I'm not, <laughs> I mean, saying admitting that I'm not good is definitely not an excuse. It's just an admission of a lack of talent <laughs> at the at the way the game has gone. And yeah, I mean, you you you're in a much better position than me at this point to be a good FIFA player. And yeah, I just feel like I never want to get I get back get back into it to the same degree. Which, considering yeah. how much of a huge football fan I am, it is kind of. I sad. think if they ever if they offered a, ever offered a skew where it's like sixty dollars for the full version, or you could get like for forty dollars just all the non foot uh, ultimate team stuff, where it was just like career mode and basic online seasons. You'd be you'd be camping out on that all day. Yeah, I'm surprised they haven't separated Ultimate Team altogether at this point, and they're just like. Yeah, I guess there's I guess there's the fear that if they make people realize they can have a better life without Ultimate Team, that it might affect them. Well, just like you know, Call of Duty spun Warzone off. I mean, obviously, you have to just like download yeah. a disgusting amount of space. Uh, to fill up your hard yeah. drive with this is very much a hard like, drive show. Or, <laughs> um, yeah, or like Witcher did with Gwent as a standalone yeah, game. But, yeah, exactly. But like you spin off Ultimate Team as free to play if you're FIFA, right? Well, I'm surprised that hasn't happened. Or even just a, a maybe maybe it does exist and I've just ignored it, but like a version of it for tablets and stuff. I know there is like a squad builder that you used to be able to like if you'd pre-ordered it you could log on and start building your ultimate team before launch but I don't know if it exists as a standalone yet no I, I don't think in that form but yeah free to play ultimate team do we think that they would bring in like a lot of additional revenue from that I think I'll maybe a lot of casual gamers like I, I suppose the cost benefit is there might be people who just outright don't buy the game anymore if they can get it on their tablet so it's a matter of trying to figure out what the balance is whether they're making enough off the base game still that they wouldn't want to do that so almost you're like i don't you want to they want to test the wars where they're like for a month we're making ultimate team mode in fifa free to play and then yeah. everyone downloads it and then whatever amount of money that they spend like if they spend enough if they push that 1.49 billion over two or something yeah it feels like as well it might be something they would think about if the heat turned up on them again you know because one of the the attacks people use on them is like people are already paying $60 for the game and then they have to pay to be competitive that they could go well look we're going to make it free to play now yeah you know that it might be a way to skirt around um responsibility yeah a bit of a modern um, scale culpability yeah yeah uh, they might do something, you know, things that they might do to change how FIFA is released as well. Like I look at what Pro Evo did this year, where Pro Evo just did a season update for 2021, which is just we're going to update the 2020 game with a bunch of new kits and stuff. 
uh, and make it available for half the price. So if he, uh, so Pez twenty twenty one was only thirty quid this year. Yeah, but that's because you've got the the Pez uh, Pachinko machine obviously doing so well. Yeah. So they don't really need yeah. to do anything additional there. Exactly. But there, you know, it will be interesting to see over the next generation which way it goes. Uh, I think maybe we might have already been there if it wasn't for. Uh, the last couple of years of PR EA had around microtransactions that maybe it slowed down some plans. Uh, but it'd be interesting to see two years from now are we sitting here having the same discussion wondering are they going to do it or will they have announced that they fuck it we are going to do it. Um, I mean it's definitely a discussion that's been had I'm, I'm sure. Um, look we're going to leave it at that for Link to the Cast this week. Thanks for joining myself and Jack on a, a markless edition of the show. He will be back with us uh, next week I am sure. In the meantime at Link to the Cast on Twitter is where you need to go to keep up to date with the show as it's posted. Uh, to interact with us on there about what you're liking on the show, what you'd like to see us cover, all that sort of jazz. Please we would recommend you go back to listen to the last episode of the show as we talk to Mediatonic's creative director Jeff Tanton. Uh, and we were livid Jack that only hours after the podcast did I realise that Mediatonic were also the company that released Hatful Boyfriend the pigeon dating simulator <laughs> uh, from a few years ago and it would have been an hour of Hatful Boyfriend questions had I known yeah, that like, and, and um, then that would have been retweeted by Mediatonic you know Jeff Tanner and Four Guys creative director and then people tune in for all the Four Guys news and get like five minutes Four Guys and an hour of Hatful Boyfriend <laughs> it's just like yeah. you know what I liked about this pigeon is <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> He was sassy, you know, he had that sass about him. <laughs> Individually on Twitter, I'm at the day to day of Jack is at Jack Lazell and Mark is at Mark Robinson X2. We shall see you again for another episode of Link to the Cast. Thanks for tuning in.